There it is. There it is. I'm sorry. Forgive me. Thank you all for having me back. Thank you, Pastor. Um, it's a privilege uh, and an honor to be with you. You said a regular. Uh, if you've been here before, hello again. And uh, he always assigns me great texts, beautiful texts that go on to feed me long after the time when I come here, these divine appointments. So if you're not getting much out of it, just know I am. <laughs> uh, and so many others are being blessed off of what you're getting first. Uh, now, it could be that you're getting it first, so I have time to tweak it and work it out. Uh, but may the Lord uh, do work here today. Um, let me ask for his help, and then let's dive in. <clears throat> Thank you, Lord. Uh, our Father who art in heaven, blessed be your name, exalted and esteemed be your name. Thank you for our sister who continues to urge us to sing in such a way that the excellency of who you are is declared in our midst so that as we come together, we feed off of each other's hallowing your name. We thank you for the kingdom of God, which is already and not yet. We thank you for evidences of the lordship and the supremacy of Christ. And we thank you that there's more to come. <laughs> this is just a sneak preview of coming attractions. We thank you for daily provision, especially the provision of continual mercies and forgiveness of sin. And we thank you that for many of us, if not all of us, the fridge is stocked. And Father, what we pray is right now, you will match the physical provision with spiritual provision, the physical bread with spiritual bread, and help me to not botch it up, we pray. Bless you. Move on someone's heart. In Jesus' name, amen. There's a saying that a mist in the pulpit is a fog in the pew. A mist is a fog in the pew. What is a minor problem for ministers can often be a major problem in the lives of the members. Whatever is true about the pastoral level Sometimes it's exponentially more true in this pew level. This was the concern of a 19th century Scottish minister, Horatius Bonar, who wrote a classic work, A Word to Winners of Souls. Pushing back in his day at the lethargy and the lukewarmness in the pulpit, <laughs> He was concerned that the coldness to winning souls, the coldness to drawing people to Christ and bearing witness about Christ in the pulpit was also going to affect the pew. I challenge us or I present to us some words that he asked as we go into our text today. He says, we take for granted that the object of the Christian ministry is to convert sinners and to edify the body of Christ. No faithful minister can possibly rest short of this. 
Applause, fame, popularity, honor, wealth, all these are vain. If souls are not one, if saints are not matured, our ministry itself is vain. The question, therefore, with each of us, which each of us has to answer it to his own conscience, has it been the end of my ministry? Has it been the desire of my heart to save the lost and guide the saved? Is this my aim in everything? Reconciliation, that's the question as we go into our text. Is this what's still driving you? Are you caught up in a momentum of I get up, I move where I move, I work where I work, I save and give like I save and I give because I'm driven by this, the salvation of sinners and the maturing of saints. That's my life. This has been what people who meet Jesus do almost by Holy Spirit reflex. They get on board with Jesus. And then they give their lives to getting people on board with Jesus. And then they both spend an eternity getting to know Jesus. That's what our text shows you. In healthy times, in the best of times, this has been the heartbeat of the Christians. And I just want to say to you that we want this to be the heartbeat for reconciliation today. And if anyone here has a flame that's on low, I'm here to turn up. And I pray that God will use his words so you can see that it just so happens that by providence, the text, the passage of scripture that I did not choose. So I'm not here to pick any. I'm not here like boasting like I got this on rap. So let me give them my sweet spot. No, I have been convicted by this text. It's a beautiful text. This is what Christians do. I'm going to leverage one more. Another modern classic evangelism in the early church. How early Christians spent their lives. This was the mark. Christianity's explosive growth was in reality accomplished by means of informal missionaries. That is, Christian lay people, not trained preachers and evangelists, carried on the mission of the church, not through formal preaching, but informal conversation in homes, wine shops. So I can say that here, this Presbyterian, right? I'm in the Baptist circles. In homes and wine shops, uh, on walks, around market stalls, they did it naturally, enthusiastically. Having found treasure, they meant to share it with others to, to the limit of their ability. That is our text this morning in a nutshell. It's people who found treasure <laughs> who can't help but share it <laughs> to the limit of their ability. Let's look this morning at John chapter 1. John chapter 1. And I'm going to move across 40 to 51. Let's read the text. One of the two who heard, last week if you were here, the John the Baptist was proclaiming that Jesus is the one. <laughs> he had disciples with him. We pick up already in progress. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, the son of John. 
you shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, come and see. Verse 47. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, you, I saw you under the fig tree. Do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Oh, my goodness. I hope you all can already see where we're going. And I hope you're excited. Let's go. These verses... And it begins all the way with John in chapter 1. John the Baptist is identified as the one who came to testify. John is called a witness, one who testifies, who tells the truth about Jesus. That's what he came to do. That's what it said earlier. And then it says starting 19, he started doing it. John started going on the scene and testifying, bearing witness that's Jesus. Let me tell you true things about Jesus. Witnessing, one of the instincts of the church. Witnessing is telling the truth about Jesus as though you were in a courtroom. And the, what you say is, is used to bring about an accurate verdict. It's you telling truth about Jesus as though you were in the courtroom. And what you say is what it takes to bring about an accurate verdict. This is how people come to Jesus. Somebody tells the truth about Jesus and their relationship and need to him. This is how people are brought to Jesus, through witness. And this is how people are found by Jesus, through a witness about who Jesus is. Right now, we're going to hear about background characters, nobody that gets a lot of shine in the Bible. We're going to hear about Peter, but Peter is in the passive position in these verses. We're not going to hear about all of the high-profile disciples. This is about low-key, regular people, just like Michael Green in early church evangelism said, just common people, informal conversations, just people doing what people do as they get up and do it. This is what it is. We're hearing, this is before they were called to ministry. This is not when they had been recruited by Jesus to be in ministry. This is the initial encounter of people who came to believe that Jesus is who faithful witness says he is, and then what they did in response to it, which is they got in on the action. They began to witness themselves. We're going to meet Andrew, we're going to meet Philip, and we're going to meet Nathaniel. If you're a Christian, you've heard these names before, and you know that there's not much in the Bible, in the Gospels about them. But John gives us a sneak preview to tell you if there's one thing you ought to know is when they met Jesus, they wanted other people to meet Jesus. Let's start with Andrew. When Andrew, we're going to see that as disciples of Christ, we should be enthusiastic to bear witness to Jesus. Verse 40 says, 
One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. Note this. He first found his own brother. The word first there should make you think that something came after it. <laughs> In other words, he didn't just do a one-off. The Bible basically says that Andrew started with his brother, and the implication is, and he continued to others because he enthusiastically shared Christ. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Witnessing is taking Jesus to people in order to bring people to Jesus. <laughs> That's what it is, right? You bring Jesus to people, right? And people are being brought to Jesus. When Jesus sees the one that we know as Simon here, but we know him as Peter. The reason why we know him as Peter is because Jesus declared that the one who was Simon, son of John, would have a different trajectory. It was Jesus who told Peter, they're going to call you rock. <laughs> it's Jesus that called Peter and told him about something about him that he didn't even know about himself. It, right now, he's Simon, son of John. That's just a regular dude with a regular pops. But here he meets Jesus that shows you that witness is not just transactional. It's transformational. If you would just introduce people to Jesus, <laughs> he just does the work. He does the work. He draws people through your witness, and he changes people through your witness. He says here, you shall be Cephas, which means Peter. Who was Andrew? Just one of two of John the Baptist's disciples. He's the brother of Peter, so he started at home. <laughs> and this is a classic model of witness. If you would just start at home... <laughs> If you would just pour it into your kids, if you would just pour it into your parents, sometimes kids bring their parents to the faith. If you would just knock on the door of your neighbor, if you would just go to work and open your mouth, if you would just go to school and say, let me drop this on you, if you would just pick up the text or whatever you do with social media and declare it to people you have relational capital with, that's what Andrew does. He first finds his own brother introduces him to Jesus, and it says, and he brought him to Jesus. This is him out the gate. Now, this all started because the text says it started with him. He heard John witness, and it says one of the people who heard John say, behold, the Lamb of God, it says that he listened and he started following. You can't lead anyone to Christ if you're not following Christ. You won't witness to this Jesus if he hasn't captured your heart, if he hasn't brought you out of regular American living into a life of mission and witness. You won't bring that to anyone else. Let it begin with me, Lord. And then it, he comes and he says, it started with me becoming a disciple, and now it continues through me as I become a witness. The name of this message is Disciples Witness 2. <laughs> Disciples Witness 2. Credit your pastor with that. But I thought it was ingenious because it almost sounds like a corny title. I was ready to change it. And I said, you know what? That's actually hot because John is one consecrated from birth. John is one who was filled with the Holy Spirit in the womb. He recognized Jesus when he was in the womb and leaped and said, there he is. <laughs> Whoop, there it is, right? And he says that John was sent into the wilderness out of the limelight to be prepared, consecrated for ministry. And when he comes on the scene, he's a professional at this. People were coming out to be baptized by John. But disciples, background ones, small, no profile, low profile ones, this witness too. And today, 
reconciliation. We want to walk out these doors and say, we are disciples. And therefore, as disciples, we should enthusiastically bear witness. Tell the truth about the Lord Jesus. Jesus gives him a new name, Simon, and broadcasts a new destiny. You will be rock. This is what we want to do in a world of hopelessness. New Testament scholar D.A. Carson rightly summarizes this portion. Andrew became the first in a long line of successors who have discovered that most common and effective Christian testimony is the private witness of friend to friend, brother to brother, I'm add, sister to sister. Let it start with your home. Let it start with your friends. Let it start at work. Tell them and take them to Jesus. Now, I'm going to do something that shouldn't alarm you. The text is now going to have something that I think is not readily obvious to us. Look at verse 43. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Right now, that sounds like Jesus went to Galilee Jesus found Philip, and Jesus said, follow me, doesn't it? It's actually in the Greek, who the he is is not specified. We know Jesus goes to Galilee. The question is, who is the he that found Philip and said, follow me? I'm going to side with a minority position, but I think it's the right position. Because remember the text said he first found his brother. Meaning somebody else Andrew got a hold of. <laughs> and a lot of scholars believe that Philip is the next person he got a hold of. Jesus goes to Galilee. Well, then I'm going to Galilee. <laughs> and I'm going to find Philip because Philip is from the same part of town as Andrew and Peter. And he finds him and says, Philip, you have to follow me. And he takes him to Jesus. In other words... There's the passion again. There's the enthusiasm of Andrew again. I don't stop at home. I don't stop with my friends. I, I, I go beyond. Let me leverage another Horatius Bonar quote who says, and who can say how much of the overflowing infidelity of the present day is owing not only to the lack of spiritual instructors, not merely to the existence of grossly unfaithful and inconsistent ones, but to the coldness of many who are reputed sound and faithful men. In other words, some of our problem is we don't look like we're lit. Every time I turn around, somebody is talking about the decrease and the decline in church attendance, church exuberance, church fidelity, and everyone is looking for every reason except we're dead. We're dull. We don't look like we have a treasure. Sure, we look like we have accurate facts. We don't look like those facts have done anything to us. Propelled us forward in enthusiastic witness. Andrew is that. We see as disciples of Christ, we should be enthusiastic witnesses. The next person we see is the Philip that Andrew, I believe, got. And Andrew, it says, now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. So this is a roundaway guy. Philip then, he gets lit and found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. 
Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, come and see. Now we get a little episode with Philip. Philip gets in on the witnessing action too. He finds someone and tells them the truth about Jesus. We have found the Jesus that the Old Testament scriptures has made much of. Who is Philip? John's gospel is the one that tells us that Philip is the bosom buddy of Andrew. <clears throat> Andrew. Again, they're from the same town. Him and Andrew are the ones that are kind of what G who Jesus leans on to do the feeding of the 5,000. Again, you, in John 6, you can see this. Jesus said, huh, what should I do? How are we going to feed these people? Philip answered, 200 denarii worth of bread wouldn't be enough for them. Andrew comes, Simon's brother. There's a boy with five barley loaves and two fish. <laughs> but what's that for so many? You remember them. This is Philip. This is Andrew. <laughs> Just talking about where you've seen these people before, where you see Philip again. Who is this? Philip. In chapter 12, he's, him and Andrew hear about some Greeks that want to know about Jesus. So in John chapter 12, 21 to 22, these Greeks came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee. And they asked him, sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew, and Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. Look at them. Once again, you see them later on in the text, Philip and Andrew, eager to share a faith that they both have and bring people and connect them to Jesus. Philip shows us that he doesn't just enthusiastically does it. Philip seems to be informed biblically with his witness. Now, both of them do, but notice this. Notice that it says, we found the Jesus that you, that the Old Testament and the prophets are talking about. It's as almost as though Philip is saying, I know about Jesus from the scriptures, not merely from my own anecdotes. So many people know Jesus because they've had a relationship with Jesus. But if you say, show me in the Bible where the Jesus you've had a relationship with is the same Jesus that's in the Bible, they can't show you. Well, all I know is what he's done for me. You know, if that's all you have, give them that. But as disciples, we should be biblically informed witnesses too. We should know how the Bible verifies that we've got the right one, baby. Uh-huh, uh-huh. John, he says, this is the one. This is the one. And I like this because we should know Jesus from the scriptures. If I was in a church that accepted hooping, I don't hoop. But this could be a hoop moment right here. Because who is this Jesus that Philip was so informed about that you and I should be informed about? And in what way did the Old Testament and the prophets, the law, Moses, the Pentateuch, and the prophets, in what way did they talk about Jesus? Well, first of all, Genesis tells us that he's the seed that's going to crush the serpent. So now Jesus, we found the one who Genesis 3.15 says is going to be the seed that crushes the serpent. He's the ark of safety because Genesis 6 through 8 tells us that there was an ark that saved people from the wrath of God. And now this is Jesus, the Lamb of God who saves you from the wrath of God. He's the prophet and the deliverer like Moses since Exodus. That's where we meet. A deliverer who can say, let my people go. And it's Jesus who has the power to look at your life and look at your burdens and look at your chains and say, let my people go. 
In Deuteronomy 8, he does this. He is like that Moses, but Jesus is the better Moses. He's the Passover lamb because Exodus 12 says that they had Passover. And the Lord Jesus is the Passover lamb. So what we see in the Old Testament was just warming you up for the main event. And that is the true Passover lamb. He's the firstborn that was slain so that others could be made sons and daughters. Because Exodus is all about firstborn sons being killed so that Israel could be free. But what God does is he kills his own firstborn son so that sons and daughters could be made free. I don't mean no harm, but I understand where I am. I know this is Presbyterian, but what I'm saying is I'm not dissing. I'm saying right now we're just in Exodus. Let me keep going. He's the tabernacle. He is where we meet God, because in Exodus we hear about the tabernacle, Exodus 20. He is the bread of heaven, because in Exodus we hear about a unique provision of bread. The Old Testament, the law and the prophets already tells you about Jesus. Oh, he's the, the lawgiver, Exodus 20. Moses gave them God's law. The Bible says that Jesus knows God's likes and dislikes and tells them to us. He is the better lawgiver. The Shekinah glory, Exodus 34. There was a glory cloud and a fire by day. Jesus, the Bible says, came and we beheld his glory. The one who Shekinahed, had Shekinah and tabernacled among us. Okay, let's get to Leviticus maybe. The holiness of God. They used to say, look, the the Holy One of Israel. You know why? Because Leviticus told you that no one will see God without holiness. Oh, this is the same one that the prophet would say, holy, 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 in Isaiah. That's the prophets. Oh, the seraphim praise him. Why? Because he has glory that's worthy to be praised. Again, I know this is just Old Testament talk. How about he gives better rest? That's what we got in Joshua, that the Lord Jesus comes to give you rest. The Lord Jesus comes to keep you from working for your salvation because you'll never work for your salvation successfully. He gives you a better rest than Joshua. His name is Joshua, and there was a Joshua. He's the better Joshua. He does what's right in the eyes of God. Unlike the cycle of the judges, Jesus could say at the end of his life, which one of you can say that I've sinned? No one. Oh, he does what's right in the eyes of God, not he does what's right in his own eyes. He's the kinsman redeemer like Boaz and Ruth. Are we just walking through what? The prophets, the law and the prophets. He says, we found the one that all that was about, right? <laughs> yeah, the better David. What? The firstborn king of Israel, God called David. He wasn't the first king of Israel. He wasn't the firstborn son in his family. Yet God called him my firstborn king. You know what that is? That's the king I'm into. <laughs> and the Bible says that Jesus is Better than David. <sighs> Pastor, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to be long. I got a timer. I'm going to be a little long, but not long. Why is it in Solomon? You know where we get the concept of that's my son? He was talking about Solomon. But Solomon wasn't a good son, was he? The Lord Jesus is the true son of God. The builder of the true temple. You know Solomon built the temple, don't you? <laughs> the Lord Jesus says, destroy this temple in three days. I'll come down and give you dap just to keep me going. <laughs> oh, wiser and more worshipful and greater than Ezra, Nehemiah, and Job. Job is wise. Ezra, Nehemiah, one know the law, one built the walls. He says, I'm wiser than them. <laughs> I'm stronger than them. I got walls that can protect you, and I introduce worship. 
Oh, he's the protector of people at his own expense, like Esther. <laughs> you can go to Esther and read about a woman who was willing to trade her life for her people. And that's what the Lord Jesus is. It was all telling you about that. Again, we're just talking about how the Old Testament talks about Jesus, the righteous one, Isaiah, the righteous branch, Jeremiah, the author and the inaugurator of the new covenant from, from, uh, from Jeremiah. He's a walking and talking Bible. He's the poem of God, Psalms. He's the wisdom of God, Proverbs. He's the forerunner. And when John came and said, I want to take the lead, that was Malachi. Behold, prepare for the one that all this Old Testament was about. We should know how to walk people through the Old Testament and tell them Jesus. Then show them in the New Testament how, so the Jesus that we knew is the Jesus that we have. <laughs> and then you look at your own life and say, and that's the Jesus I believe in. Amen. Jesus told his haters, you search the scriptures because you think in them you have eternal life. They bear witness about me. Philip, biblically informed was able to bear witness about Christ from the scriptures. Let it be for us. Let it be for us. But this one who's got all, now that was a hot resume. I don't know if you believe that, but that was a great resume from the Old Testament. But let me tell you what is the paradox of the Christian faith. That the one who's all that we just said is also condescended and made himself small. Don't you hate people who only do first class? Don't you hate people, not hate, but don't you dislike people who only, it's gotta be filet mignon, it's gotta be five star, it's gotta be a limo. Look at this. He says, we found the one that Moses was talking about. Jesus Christ, I mean, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. The great paradox of Christian theology is our God is not only the holy one, he was willing to become the lowly one. <clears throat> Jesus Christ of Nazareth, so common. The name Jesus was a common Hebrew name, so regular in the first century. That's how you would, tell, you would introduce yourself. I'm so-and-so. My father is so-and-so. I live so-and-so. That's nothing. Jesus came and accepted a nothingness status because the one who sits high was willing to get low. Oh, his name, Jesus. He didn't even say Jesus from Bethlehem. That's where Jesus was born. Nazareth, Bethlehem at least was a place that a famous king was born. Nazareth, nowhere. To the point where he says, can anything good come out of Nazareth? What kind of God would enter into human history and not set himself up at least middle class? This Jesus, the one. I don't know if you've ever heard of a basketball player named LeBron James. <laughs> Always argued to be one or two on the Mount Rushmore of great basketball players. And you know how LeBron always insists he be remembered? I'm just a kid from Akron. King James, he's been anointed by the media, by Nike. And they even have a campaign, witness, right? Let's witness King James. And he says, I'm just a kid from Akron. The Lord Jesus is all that the Old Testament said he is. And then said, and I didn't mind being known as 
Jesus from Nazareth, son of Joseph. <laughs> you know what? <laughs> All I'm going to say is this. Your Jesus should be both God and man. Your Jesus should sit high and get low. Your Jesus did not mind drawing near to the dirty, even though he himself is holy. This is the Jesus we serve, and this ought to be the kind of witnesses that we are. Romans gives you this same thing for those who like biblical theology. Biblical theology is where you can take me various places and show me the same thing. Let me show you the beauty of the one who was both powerful God and condescending, lowly man who gave his life for our sake. Look at Romans chapter 1, uh, 1 to 4. Paul says this, I'm Paul. I serve Christ Jesus. I'm his apostle. And I'm set apart for the gospel, which <laughs> he promised beforehand through the prophets in the Holy Scriptures. That's the Old Testament that we just went through. Concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh, earthly condescended human, was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit by the holy, of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. Jesus says, when I was born from a virgin... You could tell, I'm just a dude that's in the line of David. Nice, but nothing much. <laughs> when I walked out of the tomb, you said, powerful son of God. When I was just the son of Mary, <laughs> known as son of Joseph, <laughs> I was known as the son of David. When I came out of the tomb and I ran out that grave, he says, I was the son of God. This is the Jesus that Philip informed Nathaniel about. And Nathaniel said, I don't get it because I couldn't imagine the great God of the Old Testament being the God who comes out of Nazareth. Anybody sleeping on you today? Anybody think you're nothing much? Maybe you think you're nothing much. I just dropped by to say, it doesn't matter where you're from. It doesn't matter what you've been through. It doesn't matter what your background. It doesn't matter how low, how high. You and I can meet this Jesus who is both high and gets low. This is who Philip proclaimed. Well, the last part is Nathaniel. Let's see Nathaniel get in. When Jesus saw Nathaniel, verse 47, and this is we declare the excellencies of the exalted Christ and our witness for Jesus. If Andrew is, we're enthusiastic about witness. If Philip is, we're informed biblically in our witness. Nathaniel tells us we declare his excellencies in the exalted Christ in our witness for Jesus. When Jesus saw Nathaniel coming toward him, he said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Nathaniel said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathaniel answered him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Just some quick points. Nathaniel. We believe that Nathaniel is actually Bartholomew. If you've ever seen the list of apostles, the list of disciples, you're not going to see Nathaniel. But you're going to see Bartholomew. Look at what Matthew 10, 3, for those of you that take notes or mental notes. Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew the tax collector, James and Thaddeus. 
Look at Mark chapter 3. Andrew and Philip and Bartholomew. Now, we just heard Andrew, Philip, and Nathaniel. But in Mark, we hear about Andrew, Philip, and Bartholomew, which is son of Thalamaeus. Luke 6.1, Simon, whom he named Peter, and Andrew, his brother, and James, John, Philip, and Bartholomew. <laughs> so you see, when you prepare, compare Scripture with Scripture, this is probably Bartholomew, but his name is Nathaniel, which means God gives. That name is God, God gives. He was son of Thalamus, but he's also God gives or God given. Andrew started a chain of events. He found Simon, changed his life. Found Philip, changed his life. And Philip said, I got it from here. And he found Nathaniel and changed his life. Jesus says, behold, the Israelite who pulls no punches, who has no pretense. In fact, he probably heard that Nathaniel said, I mean, he can't be all that coming from Nazareth. He's like, hey, behold, the Israelite who's here doesn't front. <laughs> That's how we would say it. He's honest. He's, a, he's, he's an Israelite that's actually about business. And his character is clean. And notice that Nathaniel just says, how you know me? No reverence. But when Jesus blows his mind with his omniscience, and when Jesus tells him, because I know you, because I saw you, I not only saw you, I know you. I not only know you, I see you. And I know the real you on the inside. And I can tell you that you are a man without guile. And I saw you in the secret place under a fig tree. And something about what Jesus exposed made him say, I'm tripping. <laughs> Not how you know me, rabbi. Rabbi either means teacher or rabbi means excellent one. Rabbi either means teacher. Jesus was not at that time a formal, formal teacher, so it could be lofty one. He says, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. I don't know about you, but Jesus knows you. Jesus sees you. And what the gospel is, is he still desires to have you. I know if I knew you, I'd want to have you, but I don't know the real you. Jesus knows the real us and wants us. Well, Nathaniel recognizes him as the son of God, king of Israel. He now proclaims the excellency of who Christ is. You are rabbi. You are excellent. You are the king of Israel. You are who we've been waiting for. I now will submit to you because you are the son of God. Now, it's a chance that he just means that he is the Messiah. The son of God was a way of talking about kings. You're the son of God, a.k.a. the king of Israel. That's the way God talked about his kings. You see it in 2 Samuel 7. You see it in Psalm 2 that the way God referred to Messianic kings are they are sons. They're my sons. 
So he may not have known that he is the son of God, son of God yet. This is him right now recognizing he's exalted, recognizing he's excellent. But I'm, 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 I'm gone. But watch this. He tells Jesus something that is true about Jesus, something that is lofty about Jesus, something that is excellent. Now, look what Jesus says, and I'm closing out right here. Jesus says in verse 50, Jesus answered him, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? Then he pluralizes it and talks to everybody in his midst, that plural you now. You will see greater things than these. Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Look at this. You think I'm Israel's king? Absolutely. But let me take you back to Genesis 28 when a man named Jacob. Now, Jacob is trickster, slickster, surplanter. Nathaniel is an Israelite who's not like Jacob. One translation is indeed an Israelite who has no Jacob because Jacob had to get turned into Israel. He says, Nathaniel, you're an Israelite without Jacob, but let me take you back to Jacob because Jacob had a dream in Genesis 28. And in Genesis 28, the heavens opened and a ladder connecting heaven and earth came and angels ascended, descended and ascended. What that showed us was that Jesus says, I'm that ladder. I'm the connection between heaven and earth. I'm the connection between time and eternity. I'm the connection between your earthly circumstances and your eternal destiny. I am what all of this is about, and I'm the connection. I'm God come down to man so that I can bring man up to God. I'm Jacob's ladder. I'm better than just the king of Israel. I'm king of the cosmos. <laughs> I'm the king of heaven. I'm the king of earth. I'm better than what you said. I am what you said. I like what you said. I'm better than what you said. You may know Jesus today and tomorrow may know him better. Witness accurately today. Witness accurately tomorrow. Know him today. Know him better tomorrow. He says you're going to see it. And as you all move through John, what you're going to see is Jesus come. And Jesus is going to say, I'm going to take every earthly institution and show you its heavenly reality. That's what the book of John is about the, the book of signs. It's all about, you know that bread? I'm that bread. Bread came down, I'm the bread that came down because I was up. You know that temple, tabernacle? That's just made after the pattern of that tabernacle. I'm from that tabernacle and I came down because that tabernacle. Everything about him is I'm the ladder that connects it. I'm, your, I'm, I'm everything. I'm almost finished. I'm everything. This is what you get to do. You get to walk and tell people I know it sounds crazy, because can anything good come out of the Christian church? Can anything good come out of the mouth of this nobody? Can anything good come out of the life that I've lived? Can anything good come out of? Can anything good come out of but come and see? I know one who is the latter. There's one mediator between God and man. That's the man Christ Jesus. There's one bridge that can connect what people are to what they need. Oh, I'm finished. Forty to fifty-one is about three witnesses who changed lives when they did it. Andrew tells us do it enthusiastically. Start with first and get to another. 
Philip says, let it be informed biblically. Walk him through the Old Testament. And now we have a New Testament. So be able to bring Jesus from the scriptures and then bolster it with your own story in life. And then three, make him look good because he is good. Declare his excellencies. Tell him about his kingship. Tell him about his lordship. Don't just tell him about his saving. Tell him that he runs things and he wants to run their lives because he brings heaven to earth and he brings people from earth to heaven. And there is no hope without him. The story is told of a man who walked across Niagara Falls with a person on his shoulders. You probably heard this. And uh, I said you probably heard this like I was hoping you'd say, no, I haven't. Well, some Frenchman, I'll spare you the details, but here it is. He got one person who was willing to let him walk across Niagara Falls on a tightrope on his shoulders. Someone said the only hope was he had proven that he could walk a wheelbarrow across Niagara Falls some time before. Well... One person was able to tell the story. I put my life in the hands of a man who could cross one end of Niagara Falls to the other, and I lived to tell it. Peons compared to the one who everyone must put their lives in the hands of one who can take them from this life to the next. You must place your faith in the Jesus and the people you meet are responsible for putting their hands in the hands and their life in the hands of one who can take them from this life to the next. Tell people there is one. Everyone must do it. And Jesus is the only one. He is the latter. Let's be witnesses for Jesus Christ by his grace, by his power. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for such a wonderful text filled with wonderful examples, and a Lord Jesus Christ who shows us wonderful things about himself. Thank you for reconciliation. (laughs) Be with them. In Jesus' name, amen.